Hello! Welcome back to Chris Dyer's Creative Friends, the super awesome podcast show where me, your artist friend Chris Dyer, interviews all his super awesome creative friends. Look how good I'm getting at this intro. I can do it while riding a bike. Um, today, I am in Montreal and I am interviewing my blood brother, Peru Dyer. Woo! So, Patrick is my brother since all my life. <laughs> he's a great uh, muralist, uh, he's very successful, he's a family man, he's a traveler, he's very interesting. And uh, it should be a great interview. I hope you enjoy. Blessings! Between the women and a man Chris Dyer and his creative friends Darling Ooh 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 Hey, what's up, Peru? Hello, brother Chris. Hey, how you doing? I got Great. you. Uh, I brought you a beer for this conversation. Uh, <laughs> I know you like fruity beers. There's pamplemousse and there's apricot. Give me some pamplemousse. Le pamplemousse explosion. Merci. All right. Have a little, you know, midday beer in the sun on this crisp. Sorry, it's a little bit shaking. <laughs> I biked around with it on this little beer on the ground for the brothers who ain't around crisp yet sunny autumn day here in Montreal. Uh, salut! Salut, hermano. Where are we? What's this thing behind us? We're in Saint-Michel in uh, the street du Havre, which is just down the street from Frontenac Metro. Okay. On, I believe it's called Frontenac Park. Mm -hmm. It's the property of the natural gas company here in Quebec called Energir. Mm -hmm. It used to be called Gas Metro. They're rebranded. Um, and they asked me to, uh, to paint this mural uh, a few months ago. Okay, nice. Is it like the longest in the world? Um, I don't know. It's hard to kind of uh, look up what's the longest mural in the world and the longest mural in Canada or Quebec. There's right. no one's kind of assigned a label to it yet. Mm -hmm. I was told that this was the longest wall in, in Quebec before and I've been researching. There's there's nothing else out there. I know there's a long wall in Toronto, but it's like 60 artists. Uh-huh. So it's probably the longest wall in Canada by a single artist. Nice. Well, maybe you should call Guinness <laughs> and uh, tell him to get put you in the book or at least to, uh, you know, confirm to you if it's true or not. But I'm always impressed by your big budget, you know, murals that you get because it's mm -hmm. a different echelon than I get. And, you it's, know. A, it's a different brand and it attracts different clients. Ellie, who runs the company Moo, has kind of a, a sensitivity to pair artists with the right walls that match their style. Uh -huh. And she could see where my style was going and where it's been going. Uh -huh. And when this wall came up, she thought of me right away. So I'm very, very fortunate to have her on my corner. Okay. She's always looked out for me and, and looked for good walls to, to match the styles that I'm working with. Nice. Well, congrats. Thank took you. you like what, like uh, two weeks? 
Uh, it took about 12 days throughout a month. Uh, okay. no, no weekends and the odd day off for whatever mm -hmm. reason. But you had uh, some assistance too? had a lot of assistance. Mo was good with that. They uh, provided me with at least two, two daily assistants that were experienced, if not three. And there was a community day which involved everyone here, like uh, residents and people from STM who are, some of them are very passionate about murals. Uh, people from Energir and uh, anyone who, who wanted to be a part of it and uh, they had twice as many people as expected. Mm -hmm. So they filled a lot of a lot of spaces quick. I heard even Teddy Dyer got down on that wall at one point. Yeah, he came to help me with the, the dedication, the signature. Uh -huh. and, uh, he was very stern in directing me and making sure I didn't misspell any words, which I still did anyway. Uh huh. That's cool. How was having your dad around for the inauguration of an important wall? Uh, it was a big deal for me. I was happy because I've, I've had a few of these and uh, it's nice to have the wife and kids there. But kind of like when I, I used to play soccer, I never had anyone come see me. So I, I, didn't, I didn't care, I didn't think about it. But it's, it's nice when they're there to, to see you uh, achieve something or... Make the parents proud. All right, so I'm going to make you some questions. I got some questions here. First question, who's your favorite brother? <laughs> <laughs> well... Uh, we're all brothers, so we're, we're uh, favorite, favorite you know, brother. Favorite blood brother would have to be you, my friend. Yeah, correct <laughs> answer. Woo! Uh, number one. <laughs> um, so you just got back to Montreal. Uh, you were in Toronto before. Do you consider yourself a Montrealer? What do you like about Montreal? And uh, how does it compare to Toronto? I know that's a lot of questions, but they're all in the same thing. Yeah, Tell that's... me about Montreal and Toronto. Okay. I really don't want to shit talk Toronto too much because I was, uh, it gave me a lot. And I'm how very... long did you live there? I was in Toronto for eight years. Um, I was in Montreal for a little over 10 years before that. So I got very used to the lifestyle here and it was more uh, in tune with how we grew up or Latin style. Uh, the what does that mean, Latin Like uh, working to live as opposed to living to work, which is the Toronto way, the Ontario and the British way that kind of carried over. Kind of a tough, tough city, partly because it's expensive and spread out. It's hard to get around. The this transportation system is not the best. So it's, it's, it's not my favorite place in the world. But uh, Montreal is. The, the minute I came here, saw, I saw the beauty in it and I fell in love with the city and, and I keep discovering things still to this day. It's kind of a magical place. It's a lot of chance encounters and, and, and great memories that I've had with people, everyone I know, basically. Mm -hmm. I, was, I came across a video I filmed 20 years ago when mm -hmm. I used to come visit for Under Pressure. Okay. And and I had forgotten about all these great times, you know. And you come yeah. and you, you go bombing and you uh, you go you know drinking and you're, you're an idiot and uh, and you have a, the best time of your life and you don't worry about anything and you don't have money and and it's the best, you know. It's uh, it's more relaxed. Yeah, you don't you don't need a lot to have a good time here, and hmm. people are happy. You know, they they're yeah. happy being here. Cost of living is lower and everything's close. It's an island, so it, it kind of encloses the, the goodness. Right, it's not this sprawl that never ends. Like exactly. Toronto's like what, eating up other cities around yeah, it. It keeps right? growing and growing and it's very cutthroaty there. Mm -hmm. What's the what's the art scene like? 
Um, it's, it's, it's shifting a lot. I'm, not, I'm no expert, but uh, I, I have noticed a serious spike in beef. People not getting along. Like uh, in the graffiti scene, street art? A general? bit of both, a bit of both. There's uh, more competition. Part of the reason Montreal works for me is because things like en masse can begin, like can give birth to it. Mm -hmm. uh, I was in uh, Tremblant for Spin 2008 with uh, Jason Botkin and, and Tim Bernard, and they were talking about you know starting en masse. And, mm -hmm. and it wasn't a, a question of, of if it could happen, more like how and when. And, and they, uh, they gathered people from all disciplines and, and made it work. And now we're all friends and we, we work together on different projects and we apply for grants together. And like, there's less of a competition. Mm -hmm. Whereas Toronto has so many artists and they're all competing for the same things. And it, it becomes a bit of a, of a competition. Right. Well, hopefully it's less competitive here in Montreal. I never feel like I'm in competition with anybody here in this city. Because mm -hmm. everybody is doing their own thing. There's so many flavors. And uh, yeah, if I ever see like a Montreal artist doing good outside of Montreal, I'm like, ah, hell yeah, Montreal represents. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So that's yeah. a vibe here. People love each other. And right. There's, it's not perfect, but uh, it's definitely a, the best city I've ever lived in. You know, I've been in... Uh -huh. Sick. Travel a lot, and I lived in in three continents, in five different cities, and Montreal is by far the best, even better than Europe and mm -hmm. and even Latin America. So it's, yeah, it's a very well, special place for me. I hope I can continue living here. For now, I'm gonna like duck out for a bit till the rules get back to normal. But I hope to uh, be able to continue living in this dear city of mine. Um, tell me about your artist name, uh, Peru One Forty Three. What does that mean? Why, what, where does that come from? Uh, when I moved to Canada, uh, when I was 16, I lived in Ottawa, and my first best, my first friend was uh, this guy who used to ride Uphone, who later wrote Anode and then wrote Uphone again. And uh, they couldn't quite pronounce Patricio well enough, and I've never been fond of Patrick, having grown up in Peru as a white dude. I came to Canada, and I wanted to assert myself as Peruvian. And uh, they, yeah, they couldn't pronounce Patricio well enough, and so they're like, oh, let's call you Peru, you know, you're Peru, you're the Peruvian guy. And it stuck, and then I used it in a few pieces, and then it just stayed with me. Mm -hmm. um, and the 143 comes out of homage to uh, the first writers, uh, you know, Taki and Cornbread and so on, uh, writing their, their, their street name, street number. 143 was our house number growing up. And La Duquesa. Duquesa. Papa did not want to pay for the municipality to make it official for 15 years or so. So we would write it with Crayola or permanent marker or whatever chalk and the rain would fade it and then we'd do it again. So it was kind of the first seed of subversive uh, nature that was planted in me. You don't always have to follow the rules. And when he sold it, he found out it was 141, which was hilarious. And he put 141 on the door and 143 on the garage door to stick it to them still. Mm -hmm. And I always love that that uh, story and, um, and there's a meaning to 143 right I, I later on learned someone told me that in pager culture it meant I love you and you know it goes further back you know Mr. Rogers talking about uh, it's code for I love you one I love for you three letters mm -hmm. and um, and yeah I love having love in my name itself because that's kind of what I, I try to spread and mm -hmm. it's rooted in, in positivism I try to you know uplift people's spirits with my work and and having that in my name it's a nice pairing nice 
how long have you been doing art or let's say graffiti? Like when did you start using Peru 143 or like? Um, I started doing graffiti 25 years ago in Lima and murals maybe 10, 15 years ago. Okay. More officially. So if you had to rename yourself today, <laughs> what would be your name? Like say Peru's like, okay, that was a thing when I was 16 and I went with it, but if you had to give yourself a new name today, like a street name, would you choose a different one? Like uh, a street name? I don't know if I change it. I, I would just stick with it till I die. Uh, if I were to have more of a, a public artist name, it'd probably just be my real name. Mm -hmm. To honor our parents, and and you know, it was given name by birth. But I never really thought about it. I had a, a secret alias that I used in case of getting in trouble. It was George Kaplan. What's it called? George Kaplan. George Kaplan. He's a character from a Hitchcock movie, North by Northwest. He's the, basically okay. the guy that everyone's looking for who doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. So it's very uh, appropriate for uh, an alter ego. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, no, no, I'll think about that. Nice. So you, you always did art as a kid, like we always drew as kids. But I guess when you first started like asserting yourself as an artist, it was through graffiti. Mm -hmm. um, What's your first memories uh, with the spray can and then how did you that lead through tagging or whatever get more into North American style mm -hmm. uh, quote-unquote graffiti? That's a good question. I think after you moved to Canada I, uh, I discovered graffiti and, and it like resonated with, with who I was and I finally found something that was my own and uh, it also kind of carried forward from our uh, soccer gang days where we used to write our soccer name around and that was a, a really enjoyable aspect of the whole experience to me. Writing uh, Sepulcro. Yeah, yeah. Tagging around our neighborhood. Remember mm -hmm. when you got caught? Uh, a couple caught? times, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> At one time I got caught near the Jockey Plaza and uh, I, I think it was with two dudes and I had I think three solace and that's all it took for the cops to let us go and keep going which uh -huh. is very different from how, how it goes down here. Right. But then um, moving here with my limited knowledge of graffiti that I kind of picked up a little bit when the internet came at the tail end of my high school years in, in Markham. And just from seeing it in stadiums and soccer and uh, skate parks, I, really, I just wanted to continue that. And then, you know, meeting people here in Ottawa and, and then around, they, they kind of carried me and, and showed me the ropes. And, uh, and then, yeah, just dove really deep into it and, and fell in love with the, the lifestyle. In Peru, did you ever do a piece, like a North American style graffiti piece? Uh, I did a couple. The one that uh, was the most not notorious was in the highway. I was the only one in my crew, in my crew of friends that did graffiti. They were all intrigued and came with me, but they were just 17 lookouts in the highway, so it was really mm -hmm. fun. And I went to the hardware store, I ordered my paint. And what year is this? 96, 97, uh -huh. and I got the Avro paint with a soccer player in the can and it was terrible and it right. stank. Drippy, and, uh, yeah, unhealthy. It was, it was a terrible piece. I did dream, not knowing that there was already a well-known, dearly departed artist called Dream. Mm -hmm. um, but it was awful and unlegible anyway, so I, I did that and then I, I grew from there. Mm -hmm. But uh, but it was such a unique and exhilarating experience to to do it in Peru, you know? Right, because it was illegal too. For you, what's the definition of graffiti? Uh, I've heard so many definitions of it. Um, I would say graffiti originally was a subversive response to an oppressive system. 
later on became more of an art form and it was a, a kind of a barometer for public disregard but to me it's more of a therapeutic activism therapeutic activism mm -hmm. does graffiti have to be illegal in order for it to be graffiti yeah by definition it has to be so as soon as somebody is doing a piece but it's allowed it's not graffiti anymore even though it looks like graffiti Te technically speaking yeah you could have like a, a legend paint a hall of fame that's legal and condoned you might even get paid that yeah it's, it's not illegal so it technically isn't graffiti but it's a graffiti style mural mm -hmm. um, I mean labels are silly I've right. always hated the label street art because any art on the street is technically street art a sculpture right. or it fucked nice it up building. once like street art became street art. I was like, but I thought street art was like skateboard art and graffiti yeah. and just quirky, whatever, chalk uh -huh. shit on the floor. Like it could be anything street, yeah. street culture. Never, never been a fan of that. It makes no sense. Yeah. Um, and uh, also there's a whole parallel with skateboarding. It's reappropriating a public space and turning it into a, a playground or, or a place to you know, be creative and express yourself. Right. Um, so in that whole vibe that graffiti has to be illegal, what's your point of view on racking, on uh, stealing cans? It seems like it's like a big thing that like true graffiti artists don't even buy cans. They go to the store and they steal them. Yeah, um, that's, that's how you get started. Um, you did that too, right? Yeah, I did that a bunch. Remember um, that time where we got caught at Walmart? And my dad was working there at the time. Yeah, that was not a proud moment for me, for sure. Um, that was kind of, kind of a turning point. Then I stopped doing it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't have to steal anymore. That that started out of a necessity. But now I, I can get paid for free a lot, so. Right. I don't take risks, unnecessary risks. Being a, a husband and a father and all that, I, I have to be mindful of those things. Do you still consider yourself to be a graffiti artist? Do you still do it, seeing that we just define graffiti as something illegal? Sort of. I, I'm a retired graffiti artist, but I still pop back in every once in a while because it's, it's a, a passion. A passion doesn't die, you know? I'll always do it. I kind of look forward to when I'm in my 70s, 80s, and I can get back into it. So in your like, 80s? Yeah, you can get away with a lot when you're older. Uh -huh. Sorry, I'm incredibly old. <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, oh, he's just demented. He didn't know he was doing illegal activities. Exactly. I don't know. We'll, we'll see what, what happens and how the world is then. But uh, Right. But yeah, I still, I still love it. And I, I pay a, a lot of attention to it. And I follow it and right. I respect it a lot. And uh, the love I take it in consideration when I paint legal things. The love will always honor. be there. Yeah. For, I, I imagine, like, if I couldn't skateboard at some point because my body wouldn't allow it i would always still consider myself a skater exactly you know yeah once a writer always a writer and for this mural for example they wanted a community mural so i'm like hey let me get a writer in involved because it's a huge wall that's it's share of the wealth and uh -huh. the space it's Who an iconic that? wall uh, i try and get zach involved and they were all for it and uh if you want a community mural you gotta involve the graffiti community especially when they've been appropriating the wall mm -hmm. like so it's a tricky situation when it comes to ownership um, right because yeah, you got to go over tags and that's kind of like disrespect in the streets almost right yeah and uh, yeah and and I mean they were down until the last step and they're like why, why is he gonna write this word 
And I'm like, that's what he writes, that's what graffiti is. And they're like, no, no, we don't want that. The community's not going to understand it. And I try to fight it, and I mean, it's only so much you can do, and eventually we just had to, to let it go. But uh, luckily What's enough... What's the word you wanted to write? Oh, he wanted to write Zek, you know? So uh, that's what he writes. That's, that's what I wanted. To, I wanted to have more writers involved. And, uh -huh. and what yeah. does it say instead? It says, uh, in French, it says uh, innovation, inclusion, uh, positive energy, uh, ele uh, elements together. It's so a lot of space. So I guess you can write a whole paragraph. Yeah, huh? yeah. <laughs> and I was, they gave me some suggestions for words and I, I mean, the words are kind of like intentions that you put out. And when I paint, I'm very conscious of my, my thoughts and trying to stay positive. And I told that to everybody that was painting, you know, keep your mind right when you're painting because you're charging the wall with energy and it's going to emanate to the people. Mm -hmm. And it was the same with choosing the words. I, I kind of uh, had a little alliteration and I, I hugged the word positive energy in the middle and mm -hmm. I'm trying to make it slight, somewhat poetic, but Zach. no one's really... Most Bombay, people yeah. can't read it. Uh -huh. It's more an aesthetic and uh, yeah, I've, 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 I think it turned out well enough. People cool. are happy. Yeah, it looks beautiful. Hopefully yeah. it doesn't get bombed. Or yeah, I mean, it, bombed, it, it does, it happens. If not, I'm happy, but uh, just <laughs> fix it. No problem. We just move spots. It's so good. Um, let's go to the next question that I had that we got interrupted with a leaf blower. <laughs> when did you transition from graffiti to doing murals as a job? Murals was the official mural that got me started on it was when I won a pilot project with Evoke which is a legendary Ottawa Canadian painter. It was for the NCC in Ottawa. We, uh, we, we got this pilot project and we, we did a good enough job that it caught the attention of Moo and they reached out and then I did my first mural with them in 2008. There was one in uh, Cotenej that got canceled, but we ended up doing the first mural in NDG, I believe, mm -hmm. which is where our mother was born. So that was cool. And uh, yeah, it's been murals and graffiti since. Nice. Would you say like Mew is your biggest, I don't know if they're a client or somebody who gets you clients. What, what are they? They're, What's they're, a, they're a not-for-profit, but they kind of fall under the category of like an agency. Uh-huh. Like uh, a mural they agency. They apply for money and they pair up with brands or, uh, or organizations or companies and they, they try and beautify the city, usually mm -hmm. low-income neighborhoods, which mm -hmm. is a nice, noble approach. But yeah, that's a tricky, tricky thing to navigate. Mm -hmm. Montreal. But I, I started monetizing of art uh, in high school, I believe, when I used to get arrested for skateboarding or graffiti. Okay. And I didn't want our parents to find out, so I would sell canvases just hand in hand and, and at school and then pay for my fines. But, right. I remember um, those because I was living with you at the time. I got kicked out of nannies and you had these like really skinny canvas panel thingies. And I thought like, oh, that's so fun. I want to do some too. So I was trying to almost like imitating your graffiti style. Um, yeah, those were cheap, uh, cheap canvases and paint markers. And um, that got me started in uh, doing paintings and, and having art shows. And I even got to do a little tour of Europe. Mm -hmm. But it ended up being really taxing and expensive and not, uh, not much of a return in terms of a uh, making a living, so I, I gave that up and I started painting some commissions in the last couple of years, but uh, I, I don't like working in small formats. I like going as big as I can and mm -hmm. the bigger the better. 
more impactful. I've never had much luck with Moo. Like, I've met the ladies, I've hanged out, even gotten drunk once at uh, Cabaret Underworld, but I've never really been able to get a job. I guess I'm not very good at like making proposals and sketches and uh, filling yeah, forms. There's different ways to approach it. You can, you can send designs and they can find walls, but it, it could take years. Mm -hmm. Or, uh, or yeah, you can, you can meet up with them and, and see what, uh, what's available. And also, often, usually, actually always, the client's the one that chooses the artist. So they'll propose the artists and uh, they'll select. I don't always get selected, so I, I get lucky when I do. Okay. Uh, what would you say are your biggest clients and what are some of your favorite? I don't know if they intersect. I really like working with Collective Arts in Toronto. They're uh, a good group of people. Beer company. Beer company, uh, they, what they do is they hire artists to make art for their labels and they, they pay them a, 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 you know, an honorarium and it, it uh, changes every season. Uh -huh. They've hired hundreds of artists, they've done I was a judge on series eight a few years ago. Okay. And there were hundreds and hundreds of artists from all over the world that applied for it, so it's, wow. it's cool. You get your a little like uh, trophy beer that's empty with a plaque and a thing. And a plaque? Like oh, a I little, a little that one. I you get mind. a certificate. Really? Depends what it is you do. I've done four labels and... I only, uh, I only did one for them once. I got some beer. They sent me a case of beer, I guess, but not like a plaque and shit. <laughs> uh, they, yeah, I don't know. I guess if they sent your beer, it probably had your art in it. Yeah. Uh, at the beginning, I remember they, they used to send the bottles because they didn't have cans yet, and it was a bottle with a well, with a little like certificate, and it was empty. You know. Okay. Very legit. Um, but yeah, it's, it's really expensive. It's like millions of dollars to uh -huh. to make it and send it to each artist around the world. It's it's not a profitable endeavor for them, but uh -huh. it's part of their uh, their mission and vision. So nice. I respect that. And they hired me to paint their test room. Uh, the mural we did for them that was huge. Yeah, that was uh, a super fun light mural. painting. And I know that's probably like small budget for you, but for me at the time, it's like, what? Four G's and I get a machine and they put me in an hotel. I was like, this oh, is was, the kind of legit. jobs that I want. Yeah, that's a good, uh, good standard. Plus, it was a collab with Bruno and Shalak, who I love, and somebody else, but I can't remember that. Yeah, Jordan War, they asked me to find a local artist, uh -huh. and he's a well known tattoo artist that okay. I respect. And Nice. He, he, he did a good job. Okay, so you curated that. Yeah, yeah. Nice. I, I helped. Yeah. Did you? They did asked you... me to. They asked me to curate that wall a few years before. Uh huh. And they wanted a on mass style mural, and I was like, oh, it's it's huge, and you need a ton of people. But let's see if it works. And uh, it would have been kind of expensive, like having 20 people painting it for like a long time. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it was ambitious, and I did their testing room in that black and white style, so I think they were happy with that. Getting kind of hot, huh? Yeah, I want to take off my sweatshirt and not ruin this speaker situation. There. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do your thing. I'm just gonna take off my my hat and let my dome get like a little bit of sun, so I don't have like a white looking. You can also do it without a shirt. That would be quite sexy. Sure. <laughs> no, that MF Doom T-shirt, sweet. You don't yeah, have to do it without a shirt. I'm just. <laughs> no, I love MF Doom. He's uh, I like how he. He writes rhymes like a writer sketches a drawing, you know? He perfects uh -huh. them and, and he's a writer too. Yeah? Um, yeah I didn't yeah, know he's, that. He's, he's, he bombed. Okay, and, cool. Uh, Do you know what he died of? He died like uh, last year. I think it was a, a brain, uh, I, I don't know. It doesn't matter. It's just sad, man. He was such a, such a genius. Right. 
he was young. He was like probably in his forties. It's his anniversary soon. There's a Doom Day coming up. All right. And there's nice. this, this, they named the street after him. And uh, in San Francisco. In New York. Okay. Yeah, he's a New Yorker. Okay. I, for um, some reason, I thought he was from the Bay. What other clients have you done work right. for? I painted murals for uh, for Facebook, which was, you know, they were always questionable, and now I'm not super inclined to work with them. But at the beginning, they gave me full creative control. They paid well, and uh, they left me alone, which is rare. Mm -hmm. uh, I did a couple walls, and then they're like, oh, you want to do an Omas wall here? And I, I, we painted an Omas, a little Omas wall. In Facebook also? In the Facebook headquarters in Toronto. Okay. Then um, they asked me to do uh, frames for their augmented reality project. I did a couple of those. And then they asked me to fly to LA and they, we filmed some promos, kind of promoting it, which was cool because I was kind of working alongside uh, Douglas Copeland, which is a famous artist, uh, Canadian artist I really respect. Okay. He lives in Vancouver, I believe. But uh, I don't think that worked out too well. No? And then uh, I was in their book, in their uh -huh. first five years of the uh, Artist in Residency program, the, uh, Facebook Air. And so I have this great book with all these great artists and I'm in it and right. very proud of that. How um, does it feel working for a brand that, you know, maybe at the time when you did it wasn't so bad. It was like, oh, social media, it's just like a joke. But then now they're kind of ruling the world and deciding you know, what information is good, what information is bad. It kind of like seemed very corporate and corrupted in a way, How, you know? Yeah, it seems to happen. Greed takes over, ruins everything. Mm -hmm. um, power You're, corrupts, absolutely, kind of thing. You also did something for the Raptors, the basketball team from Toronto? Yeah, I did something for the Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment, uh, just as the Raptors were winning and that was really cool. They also let me do what I wanted to do, but they wanted traditional graffiti and Emblems of the city. Uh, then stuff for for a lot of you know major brands like Bell and Cirque du Soleil, and uh, you know try not to work with banks as much anymore. A lot of cool brands. You have uh -huh. to kind of think about a bit deeper about it to remember. But uh, I'm always impressed by the big brands you work for. Like it's funny that we're very similar. That we both do murals and we're both artists, but we're on two totally different yeah, sides of the spectrum. routes. Like you, you, like you get all these big brands with big budgets, and I'm out there painting little murals for wheat growers. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've been trying to get into the uh, the cannabis uh, industry a bit more. Man, lots of bees on Man, they're yeah, attacking the beer. Me. They love beer. These bees. Oh man, I'm gonna chug this shit. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It's I think my uh, style is a little more digestible and, and easy, easy to place in a lot of situations. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not offensive. It's not busy. It's not. Uh, it's easy to kind of use as a background for them. Mm -hmm. um, I developed a lot of graffiti, so to me, it still kind of has that root. Mm -hmm. and, uh, but you got different styles, right? Like this is a style you've been doing for the last what? five years, ten, ten, years I'd say. 10 years and it's like your main style that you use for jobs yeah it's a style that I get requested to do most uh, mm -hmm. I used to do an architectural style like a cluster of houses that got really popular but I, I um, exhausted that style it's more difficult to do yeah I did uh, I did 2d 3d I did I built, built an actual miniature city at Oceaga that came from working a a display artist from Urban Outfitters. I learned a lot of woodworking and, and 
all kinds of skills. Mm -hmm. And that led me to do installations for uh, for Asheaga. What have, other have styles my... you would you have that to play with? Is there something you want to play in the future? I saw you doing like a new flower style that was kind of cool. Yeah, I, I played around with flowers. Uh, I, someone I painted with a lot in the past few years is bacon, and, and that's his bread and butter. Like people just really like flowers. It's, right. it's something really easy to. Who throw doesn't around. like a flower? So you know, it's I gave beautiful. it a try, and it was fun. Um, I, I, it's not something I want to be known for, but it's something that I can do. And if people want that, on top of anything else I do, I'll, I'll, I can do that. Uh huh. I'd like to get into um, figurative work eventually, but that's kind of a more something I fear because I've never been good at figures and anatomy and like uh, realism. Yeah, not necessarily realism. I don't know where that'll take me, but but it's something I like to explore. Uh, I have my graffiti lettering style that I always like to play with. The styles that I developed with Omas that were kind of um, the the black and white, more. Uh, Pre-Columbian style has a lot of symmetry and, and has figures in it. Mm -hmm. But yeah, no, I, I'm enjoying this for now, and I'm kind of almost ready to move move on to the next thing. Mm -hmm. Would your art have like a subject matter? Like, is, is there something in particular that you say with your art, or is it does it have to be spelled out with a word in order to be the specific thing? Or is like, um, tell me a little bit more what you're trying to say with your expression. With this particular art, I feel like I've been more successful in expressing what I want to share, and that's just uh, trying to lift people's spirits, do something really uh, that's that's easy on the eyes, uh, that's colorful and vibrant and, and cheerful, and it just art art has an incomprehensible like grip on people. It's it's kind of always hard to ex ex explain or describe. How art makes us feel, but I've developed this from people's response to my art. So I started to do this in my graffiti. I throw a watermelon in there, and people would stop biking and be like, "Wow, that's hilarious!" And you know, our dad has a few watermelon paintings, so it was always kind of a, a something that I, I liked, um, and it was funny to me. And watermelons are just such a gigantic, silly fruit, and it's just water mostly, just like us, like 70% or so. Right. So I started to do those and people were responding very positively and they would smile and laugh and, and tell a story or something. So I, uh, I threw a rainbow on the other end and I created an emblem and, an, and a logo which led me to the next symbol and uh, that was more, um, to me, it's like the ocean and the glare and the sun and the sunset and that's growing up in Peru, going to the beach and not having any responsibilities, just being a kid and having fun and enjoying life. Mm -hmm. And those are the moments I'm trying to kind of encapsulate in little uh, icons and, and mm -hmm. share that with the world to see how they respond. Nice. Like just, you know, usually circles. Mm -hmm. I'd, I'd like to get, you know, a dozen of them and once that's done, just move into something completely different. But, uh, but yeah, just trying to cheer people up, you know, it's a hard world and, and art is power, art is love. So gotta use it as a, as a weapon, as a tool. Beautiful. Um, art, art can be really healing, and I'm an aspiring healer, so mm -hmm. <laughs> we'll see where this leads. Beautiful, man. Please tell me about some trips you've done for your art. Where you travel around the world to do your beautiful art expressions? Uh, where have I traveled? I've been, you know, three, you know, classic spots in Europe, and uh, I went to Mexico once, which I'd love to go back to. It's my favorite place in the world. I went to represent Omas, and I was the only Canadian artist there. I, I pulled some uh, 
San Diego, an American artist, and some local Mexican artists, the Hemp Crew, some of which I'm really tight with now. Um, and uh, we did a wall, and then we did a car as it was inching into the, the border to kind of raise awareness on the uh, absurdity and injustice of how it is to cross the border there. They like, it took about two, three hours to cross the border, and on the way back, it didn't take more than a minute. You didn't, you didn't even have to slow down, you just drive right through. So that was, that was a fun experience with uh, Dardar. They're a local organization here in Montreal as well. Um, I've been to China as well with Omas. That was a great trip. Kind of one of those culture shocking experiences with a bunch of dudes and, and ladies and we had a great time. Did some side jobs with uh, Nike and Converse. And, uh, it's just great to kind of be in the subway and, and see a baby with a shirt that says, I love surgery. It's just so, so much weirdness in other places in the world. Mm -hmm. That's great to absorb. A lot of humor out there. I got to go to Japan when my kids were about a year and a half or two years old. That was a great experience because that's kind of what I wanted for them to, to travel with me and, and stay in a, while, in a place for a few weeks and experience that culture and absorb it and learn from it and, and grow from there. Mm -hmm. And they still remember it. We went to Tokyo Disney and it was some of the best days of my life. You know? How so, old were you uh, them by then? How old was I? No, the kids. Uh, they were, I think, two. Okay. That's cool, I remember. I yeah. I don't think I remember much when I was two. They'll probably forget and they'll remember things from pictures that we show them or videos, which uh -huh. we have enough of, so. Right. Tell me about Cuba. Cuba was great. That was 2011 and we were going there because we found a great deal. Usually we go where the deals are paired with where we really want to go and learn learn from. Places that are changing with, with time. But I. Uh, I learned about their uh, skate scene and I linked up with uh, dudes in Miami who were already kind of established uh, an ongoing relationship and route. Amigo Skate. Amigo Skate, they introduced me to Che, Alejandro and um, a few people that helped me coordinate the trip and learn about the, the politics behind it. I reached out to everyone I knew could help in town, yourself and uh, uh, Vans and uh, Sterling from Under Pressure, Barry Walsh, Mark Tisson, they all donated a bunch of boards and gear and, and shoes and magazines and stuff. Wheels. And I had too much stuff to carry. It was kind of uh, difficult, about 40 boards. And, right. And uh, we organized a skate competition just outside of Havana. And there were a hundred kids there. Everyone who participated got a prize. So, you know, they were really, really happy Stoke. to have us there. And, and it was a very fulfilling part of the trip to not just go and exploit, but uh, to give something back and help a scene that, that I'm a part of, or uh -huh. at least used to be a part of. Since the kids were born, a lot of things changed. Like, I don't really skate anymore. You know, it's sad. I'll probably get a little bit back into it as a geriatric skater, but... What's your relationship with skateboarding? Tell me your roots and what it brought into your life. It, it, it brought a lot of lessons that were necessary to learn as a kid, you know? We, we started you know, because we saw our cousins skating and the, the culture is just so rich and, and cool. And uh, it teaches you perseverance and, uh, you know. Do it yourself. Discipline and a lot of things, yeah. That little board we made you, that yeah. was so cool. The board my dad cut in there. His workshop was really weird, <laughs> shaped and heavy, just a piece of three quarter inch plywood. 
yeah. giant trucks and uh, you guys drew a Roscoe graphic on it. Hand-drawn Roscoe really cool. graphic. I wish, I wish we still had that. That would be like... Oh, dude. To have that would be so precious. Yeah. With the trucks. Yeah. Too. <laughs> the trucks were too long for the board. Oh, dude. It's like such a memorable... I wonder where it ended up. Mm. I was kind of bummed that you sold my Shred Vision Shredder board. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, I was like, oh, that's my, you know, but at the time I just left yeah, Canada at 16. Yeah. I didn't think about it neither. It's not like I was like, hey, keep this for me. And like, yeah, I was just sitting there and, and Alvaro Wong, my, my first best friend in, in life, he wanted to get into skateboarding. So I gave it to him and, uh -huh. and he got started. But then he moved back to Costa Rica and we never saw him again. <laughs> or he came from a wedding, actually. Do funny. you think he might still have it? I can ask him. Yeah, I let's doubt it, but you know, you never know what people keep. What they you never as, know if he yeah. still's got the Vision Shredder. That's a board you can never find. That even as yeah. a remake, it was never yeah. a famous board. It's not in the disposal book. It's I don't need. I look on the, the internet. I can't even find a picture of it. It's yeah, such and it was a, a weird great graphic too. It was cool. Yeah, but nice it meant colors. so meant so much to me as a kid. What's your relationship with marijuana? Marijuana. Well, you introduced me to it in Peru and Lunawana. Uh-huh. What uh, age were you at the time? Uh, 15, I think. Okay. I, I didn't get anything from it at that time. Right. Uh, and then I, when I moved to Canada, we used to do it in uh, 90s rooftop. Uh-huh. And then I, I... That was so funny. I would benefits. sneak out while Nanny was sleeping. Oh, it was such a part of the experience, you And know? You, we had a huge, like, penthouse ballroom that no one oh, used. Oh, empty. I, I had so many jams there with friends too. Right, to throw parties there was so fun. Um, and dangerous. <laughs> you get yeah. drunk and you just fall off the edge so For easy. Sure. I'm so happy you didn't fall off the edge when you <laughs> threw that computer off to the swimming pool. Like yeah, in the yeah. video, it looks like if, that, if you would have hold on to the cable, yeah. that computer a little bit longer would have pulled you in yeah, yeah. and no, you would have fallen off. I was far away enough from the edge, I remember, but I, I did that a few times, just tossing monitors off downstairs from the bus stations because that's the year 2000 where everybody thought like y2k is destroying all the computers yeah. so everybody is just throwing all these yeah. computers out and we're just down to break them <laughs> um but yeah i i, I kind of went on and off with uh with smoking herb whenever it wasn't it wasn't a good vibe i would stop and i would pick it up when it was uh i, I never had i never had a grasp on me like i i never felt you know like addicted in any way so I, uh, I, I used it, you know, whenever it was advantageous and eventually it was always advantageous, you know. I, I have a lot of anxiety that uh, can be dealt with many ways, but uh, getting high and not excessively, I, you know, I, I almost microdose it, so I'm always in a good, good space. Like one little toke? Yeah, I was, I was always shy and, and, and just kind of nervous and... That's cool that it takes away your anxiety. To me, it gives me anxiety. Yeah, that's what it does to most people, which is funny. Because I remember on my grad trip uh, with my Peruvian friends, it was then that I learned that a, a friend of mine, I won't mention his name, but he wasn't doing well in school until he started smoking, and then he was able to focus and, and learn what he was reading, and he, he aced everything. And, and then I realized, you know, it doesn't have to be the way it's portrayed or popularly known as the way it affects our parents, you know? Like, that was a friend in Canada or in Peru? That was in Peru. Okay, so and you had a friend in like a 15 year old. Yeah, well, by, by then it was 17, 17, 18. And, uh, and I learned, oh, I can actually help you gain focus. And I learned about the different strains. And you know, I'm more of a sativa kind of guy that picks you up and makes you focus and alert. And, oh, cool. I'm and, more of an indica, dude. I yeah, want well, to that, be relaxed. 
Yeah, that'll that, put you on the couch and, and chill, you know? It's, I'm fine with that. I'm fine with the body buzz over the like, well, I like to be like hyperstone too, but that's when it gets my heart racing and the anxiety going. Like I, mm. I get a little bit more like, ah, yeah, yeah. you know, I vibrate too, too, too fast. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll do that at the end of the night when I'm ready to sleep and it'll help me sleep peacefully like a THC. And, nice. But um, yeah. Cool. I also I don't, I don't really drink. I quit drinking a long time ago and I'll pick up a, a Rattler, which is just grapefruit juice. Uh-huh. Um, you can drink like a dozen of them throughout the day in a barbecue and you won't get drunk. And that's what I'm trying to avoid, just getting sloppy and, yeah. and do anything I'll regret. So yeah, marijuana helps me keep focused and, and then I'm good, you know, nice. be a better person. <laughs> what about cookies? Are you still addicted to cookies? Sugar is my main addiction and my main struggle in life. Oh um, yeah? I've been on some serious, scary places, and uh, I have ups and downs, and I usually uh, have, have a grip on it, and I try to reduce the dosage, so I'm, I'm not consuming more than, you know, the recommended 40 grams for my build. But oftentimes, I'm consuming hundreds of grams a day, and it doesn't affect me. I, I just got a results from my doctor. I'm in tip-top shape as always. He's like, keep doing what you're doing. And I'm like, yeah, but I'm worried about uh, What this. about the chocolate chip cookies I mean, from the death? And there's so much. <laughs> and I've, I've gone through uh, experiments where I try and like shove them down my mouth and just uh, learn to hate them. And it's worked with a lot of things, but then they come up with something new and they start drenching M&Ms on popcorn. And oh, damn. you know, they're not very nice. That, but you're you. lucky you never got fat, at least. Like yeah. It's, yeah I have seems a, like a, you can eat as much as you want. You always stay skinny. Uh, fast metabolism, and it's starting to slow down. So I'm trying to be more conscious of what I eat. I try to drink more, uh, uh, you know, green juices and, and try and... You drink one of those green juices a, a day? I should be, and I will be. Uh, I try to eat a lot of fruit and not eat so much junk food. Uh, we're not great cooks at home, so we, we end up ordering a lot, so we, we try to be careful, but uh -huh. um, exercise is a big part of it too. Uh, like you gotta walk, at least, if I'm not gonna be skateboarding or biking around, so mm -hmm. I gotta buy a bike. But yeah, I mean, it's just all calibration, you know? You learn to manage your ups and downs, and mm -hmm. eventually, you find a, a sweet spot, and you can uh, cheat every once in a while. Niceness. What about your relationship with psychedelics? Is there any psychedelic that you take every now and then for any purpose? Uh, a good friend from uh, Hamilton gave me some great Amazonian mushrooms and I have been microdosing those. I've had a, a lot of great mushroom trips, so I, I trust it. Um, and I mean, I did a San Pedro, which is basically peyote in the desert with my friends in Peru on that same uh, graduation trip. I'd like to do it again. I was hoping to do ayahuasca with you at some point, but we'll see in the future. Hopefully um, in the future. I, I, I mean, I was going into raves uh, at the beginning of my stay in, in Canada. Yeah. Did a bunch of random shit there, you know, speed, and someone gave me a crystal meth once by accident. How was that? It just gives you a lot of energy. Ah. But, uh, you know, I had a good time and I, I got freaked out afterwards, but nothing happened and I won't yeah. do it again. Uh, again, that's not a psychedelic, but... Uh, but it's an interesting right. drug. Like in, in yeah. California, a lot of people do a lot of crystal meth. Uh -huh. And uh, sounds like it's just like amazing, but then you're fucking hooked on max because then when you come down, it's like life doesn't seem that great at all. Yeah, the people I was with did E and the next morning they were just so bummed out and I was like, hey, let's go to the park or let's do something fun. Mm -hmm. 
But uh, I think historically drugs haven't affected me the way they affect most people. That's why marijuana picks me up. And um, yeah. a lot of drugs have, have not turned out as sour, but I'm really careful about it now. Mm -hmm. Do you have some kind of spiritual path or like what's your spiritual beliefs in general? I believe we're all spiritual beings and we're undergoing a, a consciousness shift. A lot of us have reached our, our breaking point and it's either, you know, evolve or, or self-destruct. And I've, I've seen most benefits through meditation. Uh, I try to meditate every day. I learned to meditate when I was 17 on that same Peruvian trip. That was a very powerful trip for me. My, one of my best friends, Armando, he taught me how to meditate. He lived in India for a long time and in Spain, and he, uh, he instructed me. And then we went, we snuck out to Sacsayhuaman. We meditated for the first time, and when I came off it, I was surrounded by luciérnagas. Um, so cool. Uh, fireflies. So did you do San Pedro in Sacsayhuaman? No, I didn't get to do that. Uh, his dad did tours of that. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. We didn't, we didn't have a chance. That would have been so sick. I think I was underage too. I don't know what the legality is, but I don't think it would have mattered. Yeah, I but, think uh, it's illegal either way. <laughs> but I've had a lot of very powerful meditations and visions. Uh, most recently this year, I have a, a naturopath who's uh, part native, so she was, was doing a drum meditation and guiding me. Mm -hmm. And I pulled some energy from the earth and then from, from the cosmos. And I felt like I was levitating in this big orb. Wow. And uh, she was 10 feet away. She was standing and sitting across from me from the table. But uh, I felt this blue flame coming above me. And, and uh, I can't even remember all the, the things that happened. But uh, afterwards, she told me she's never felt that kind of energy from anyone before. And she almost fell off her chair. <laughs> mm -hmm. And I felt very empowered. And, and you know, experiences like that uh, motivate you to keep, keep doing the good work. It's important to grow as human beings and, and overcome our human obstacles and then we can be our true selves and be a better service. You and I are artists, we're service, we're service to people to, mm -hmm. to share goodness. So it's important that we nurture ourselves and, and take care of ourselves so we can be the best, best versions of ourselves. Yeah, totally, man. Another question. What would you say is the biggest accomplishment of your life? It could be career, it could be whatever. My biggest accomplishment would probably be my family. Um, I, never, I never wanted, growing up, I learned in an environmental science class first and then through research that the world is overpopulated and, uh, you know, half of marriages fail. So I was very disheartened about, you know, the state of the world. So I was like, I'll never get married, I'll never have kids. I was just focused on, on doing, doing my, my part. But then, you know... You <laughs> that bee is just going at you. You meet Fuck the right... Up, bitch. Get out of here! <laughs> Let my brother speak. Yeah, I, I was in a really bad place in Montreal before I moved to Spain. And that's when I decided to move to Spain. And I was in a midnight concert that our roommate Elena organized. And oh, yeah? I saw this girl and this dude dancing in the front and they were having such a good time. And I'm like, fuck, I gotta get there, you know, I wanna be them. And uh, that's when I shifted everything. Okay, I'm gonna sell everything, move to Spain, get a job there, start a, a new life as an artist there because I had uh, Juan Carlos, my friend, who was living there and, and different artists who were... That's when you succeeding. went to Barcelona? Yeah, just before. And uh, then it was your birthday and I met Gracia, who became my wife, who uh, was, was the right person. Like, there was no doubt from the beginning. She, uh, she was play playful and, and insightful and beautiful. And it just, uh, I was talking to Afik Khalil and I heard her laugh and I kept turning back and he's like, you want to go talk to someone else? And I'm like, yep. And I 
beeline for her and I got super nervous and ran away but she liked me too and luckily uh, we made something work but there was no no tension at the beginning so there wasn't any expectation so we we just flowed naturally then I moved to Spain and she came with me and then we traveled through Europe and had a great time and we I think we moved in after two months so when you move with someone you live with them you travel with them you see every aspect and facet of themselves and I think we were in Paris and I decided I gotta propose to her on our anniversary and, and it's you know that's what she wrote and then we had uh, ironically enough before that when I was working I was telling a, a, a girlfriend a, a friend of mine uh, what I wanted she asked me what's your perfect girl and I listed basically her you know Gracia was all of those except she didn't know Spanish and I've been teaching her um, but um, then that's when I started to pay more attention to her manifestation powers and, Mm -hmm. And I always wanted twins, a boy-girl twins, and we don't have twins in our family, but, you know, Gracia and I had issues for about three and a half years to conceive, and fertility treatment gave us twins, mm -hmm. boy and girl, so, you know, it's, it's, it's a luck, is it fully luck, I don't know. Experienced a lot of things like that in my life. I always wanted to be a traveling artist, which seemed absurd, and our parents were supportive enough, but also realistic when I dropped out of college they're like you gotta go back and finish that you know it's probably a good idea and then even the 10 years that I live in Montreal I did not succeed you know I, I did a lot of great jobs and, and technically I should have succeeded but you know I wasn't making a living so I had to get jobs you know being a busboy or uh, I worked uh, in, in a lot of shitty jobs and uh, what was I gonna mention there yeah, anyway. You're talking about your biggest accomplishments. Yeah, but... Uh, Creating a family and having kids. Yeah. Nice, well congrats, man. That's something that I haven't done yet. Still not sure if it's for me. Like, I'm enjoying the, the ride of being, like, you know, alone. Though I get quite lonely sometimes, too. But I do still think it's possible for me, so, you know. I, I, when I came to your inauguration the other day, I thought, was like, wow, that's so nice that my brother has that, you know, like, mm. um, you know, you're giving your speech after a good mural and your kids are there with your wife and they're all so proud. It's like, oh, that's so cute, you know, like, yeah, it's a, you know, it's a part of me experience. wants that, you know? Yeah, for sure. I'm sure everybody would, would like that. But, you know, with that comes a lot of other issues, you know, nothing's ever perfect, but you, you make the most of a situation. And mm -hmm. something interesting that happened when I started uh, becoming a father, because I didn't feel like a father for the first couple of years. Oh yeah? Was, because um, you have this image of what a father is, and our dad was a certain way from a certain generation, those men are a certain way. Gone doing motocross and working. <laughs> yeah, but also their attitude and their approach to parenting, and it was so different from how I was becoming. And you know, once you become who you are, you're like, oh, this is great, you know, I can do this. Mm -hmm. And you don't want to skateboard anymore, you know, paint. I didn't want to paint, I didn't want to paint murals. When I started painting again, I wasn't motivated to do it because I just wanted to be with them. It was like nothing as, as, as joyful and enjoyable as being with my kids, so... Okay. It was a struggle to, to get back into to my mission because... Well, better than a, you wanted to like be painting murals and not giving a shit about your kids. Yeah, exactly. No, I, I love my kids and I'll do anything for them, but um, I, I lost that... Uh, that spark to paint for a while um, because they, they give you a heightened sense of purpose, you know, they, they change your priorities and painting didn't seem as important, you know, providing did. So I, I got back into painting and eventually, you know, now I'm fully into it and mm -hmm. now they're a part of it and I can't wait for them to be old enough so they can work with me. 
Uh -huh. But uh, it was an adjustment period that I didn't foresee you know, as an obstacle as a parent. Mm, interesting. Do you have any dreams still left in your life? Have you accomplished everything you wanted to accomplish? You're only, what, 48, right? Uh, 39, yeah. 39? Okay. And uh, uh, is there something, like a dream that you'd still like to accomplish in your half of a life you got left? Or more? Uh, there's lots of dreams, yeah, man. Uh, there's still a lot of the world I haven't seen, and I like to see it with my kids, and I like to work and paint a mural in each of these places. I want them to get that kind of first great education or first-hand education with each culture. A lot of, I like to learn how to play an instrument. I don't know how to play any instruments. There's a lot of little things. I, loved, I always wanted to train hop across Canada. You never train hopped? No, I never had a chance. I never, I never felt I never place. did it neither. If you do it, let me know because I'd love to do it with you. But you've, you've painted trains at least, right? Yeah, uh, I did that a lot at the beginning. It was really fun. Uh -huh. uh, I love the fact that they travel. and. You love trains? Uh, yeah, I've always been obsessed with trains. Mm -hmm. um, it's a weird obsession because in Peru there weren't any. And, but, uh, but yeah, there's, there's something about the smell of the train tracks, you know, the wood and the stones and uh -huh. the, the risk and the metal and the rust. And right. It's such a rich aesthetic yeah. experience. And yeah. then train yards are great. Well, that's where you took me to paint. The first time I ever got down with spray paint, you took me to these tunnels in Ottawa, illegal. You got to jump the fences and you walk the train yard. And then I painted a graffiti piece with very like cookie cutter graffiti style. That was like the year 2000. And uh, I thought it was like super cool. I just wanted to do it just to like, you know, do it, you know? And mm -hmm. then I think I got bombed over right away. And, but I thought yeah, it was like really that's interesting. That's the beauty of a graffiti, man. There's, the impermanence of it is a big part of it. Like, mm -hmm. you can't have an ego with it. Some, a lot of people obviously have huge egos when it comes to graffiti, but uh -huh. um, it, it aligned with my intention to make art and, and not take myself too seriously. Mm -hmm. I think that's, that's dangerous. Uh, similar with like tattoos, you know, they're, it's like uh, souvenirs of places I've been to, the memories, but they're also an adornment. Without the ego, more uh, self-esteem, you know? I, I'm, it's important to have self-esteem. Mm -hmm. I see your right arm is very tattooed, but your left arm is not at all. What's up with that? Well, I didn't want to be the tattoo guy when I started getting tattoos, like mm -hmm. fully covered. So I, I decided for no reason just to do one half of my body. Uh huh. So I started doing my arm and then my leg and then my chest. And then I'm like, there was uh, an issue with doing the top. I didn't want to have half a thing. And then I'm like, you know, what's a silly rule I made for myself? It's right. been 20 okay. something years getting tattoos. I get also get one tattoo every year and I started designing them myself. So the first. 20 tattoos or so I, I did myself. I studied the art form for a year. Uh -huh. You know, Dia de los Muertos. I learned about the culture, the different kinds of tattoos. I researched it and I made my own version of it. Uh -huh. So that was a, a, a part of, of respecting the culture. And I wanted to become a tattoo artist at one point. But if you're not going to be devoted to it, it's almost disrespectful to it. So I'll, I'll wait. Uh -huh. in my later years. You think you'll still be a tattoo artist at some point? Uh, I, I like to learn how to do it. Yeah, sick. I love to tattoo myself. Um, yeah. Well, but yeah, then I was like, oh, who cares? I'll just do the other side too. And I started tattooing my ribs as well. And ribs hurts, huh? Yeah, it's probably the most excruciating experience, especially the left side, because I've never experienced any pain on my left side. And uh -huh. it was a very unique. And that's the emotional sharp... side. Uh-huh. Yeah. So yeah, that was cool. But now I'm, uh, I'm going to finish my knee next and then start working on the left side. Sick, dude. I'd love to get a knee. The knee's cool. 
I don't know if I want to do ribs. That, you know, that doesn't sound... And plus, I don't like to take off my shirt too much. I'm always kind of like... I got big boobs and a belly. I'm not, I'm not the best without a shirt. You can change that if you want. But... Yeah, I'm trying, mean, to do my, I'm trying to do my push-ups every day, but like, you know, being that in my 40s, it gets harder and harder. But you might still uh, decorate yourself, you know? And, and yeah, for hide, yourself. Hide your imperfections. <laughs> yeah, totally. I put a couple eyes on my boobs. <laughs> <laughs> um, cool, man. Any uh, final wise wor words to this crazy world we living in today? I've seen a bunch of your interviews and I had that in mind, but I've never actually sat down and like trying to put it down. I think Dumil here, MF Doom, has a great song uh, in the time of your life. So if you guys have a chance to look it up, listen to those words. Otherwise, uh, what does it talk about? Words to live by, basically. Um, okay. You know, I, personally, I like, you know, I, I don't take myself too seriously and that makes, takes a lot of pressure off. Be true to yourself. If you're going to get into graffiti, Take your time to learn, learn the ropes, you know, don't uh, step on people's toes. Be respectful in anything you do, uh, be respectful, be kind, be a good person as much as you can. Meditation helps. Something that my wife always says to me that I'm very lucky to have found a purpose in life because so many people spend their whole lives searching for it. Mm -hmm. So I don't take that lightly. So when I, when I make art, I'm very conscious of this and uh, I try to you know, be, uh, be mindful and respectful of, of each place that I get invited to paint. Mm -hmm. and, uh, try to honor that sacred bond and, and honor the community and, and, uh, and do, do the best with each project, no matter what, who it's nice. for or what it pays, because that's our legacy. Nice, that's beautiful, man. Well, thank you so much, Patrick, Peru. Um, I'd like to give you a hug, but I know you're like being careful for your kids. Um, but uh, I'll give you a knox. Woo! Big ups, brother, man. Yes, and uh, thank you so much for doing this interview with me. Yeah, I, love, uh, I love nepotism, man. I don't know if I would have gotten into your interviews without being your brother, but uh, it's, <laughs> it's an honor and I hope I, I uh, make you proud. And Yeah, no, totally. You totally make me proud. I honor you. I respect you. I love you. Um, I'm so happy that I was able to ask all these, these uh, questions to share more of your beauty and the great things that you do. So thanks for sharing this time with me. I'm happy I finally captured you yeah, for yeah. my collection of beautiful friends. Yeah, and, uh, and thank you guys too, the viewers, for uh, tuning in to another episode of Chris Dyer's Creative Friends. Please make sure to like this episode. Uh, comment if you got any comments about it uh, uh, share subscribe and you know if you're on uh, Spotify iTunes Google anchor make sure to give like a four-star review or five-star review or whatever is the best review so it gives more momentum and more people can learn about these beautiful people I'm trying to share so thank you and see you next time blessings Woo! Next episode, my guest will be Macer. People have everyday, people have great ideas. You just gotta do it. Fuck it. Whatever happens, happens. Just do things. And then something's gonna happen. Some people say to me, like, oh, you're always, you always have this new project. You're always working on something. You're, everybody can do that. Everybody can always come up with, and everybody already does come up with the idea, but they never actually execute. Right. And I'm a victim of that too. Like, I don't execute half of the shit I, I think about.
So please make sure to subscribe, like, comment, and share. Big thanks, and see you next episode. Peace.